0: All right, everybody, it's time for a little bit different episode here. Uh, we've I've recorded one other of these, but it was a college paper that I did. What happened was, uh, I guess I'll do a slow setup. In the summer, well, I don't know when you're hearing this. So in the summer of what year is it, 2021? Like I was going through my childhood home for the second or third time, procrastinating on that. And I mean, especially because I don't live near there, shipping stuff's always hard. But, you know, we're trying to clear out everything uh, so that the house could be sold instead of just rented out or whatever. So kind of going through any stuff I have or my parents had uh, had had held on my, my behalf. And I went through and I found a college paper and then I found this paper or the story. And I think it's really interesting. I thought this was illustrated, and the time, the timeline, I'm interested to, to read the story. I only have looked at the first page of it. It has a, what's that called, paperclip on it. And I have a feeling that this paper is from Computer Camp, the, the legendary Computer Camp. If people have listened to the show, I'll, I'll talk about it, which actually opens up my thoughts more and I'm interested to read the story. I'm also nervous because, one, I don't know how long the story is. It's only a few pages, and it's not full pages. So I'm like, is this going to be a whole episode, or what will happen after I read the story? But it's also like, what is in the story? Uh, what was, like, not the quality of my writing. But you think about people change, and, you, you know, the, the, there's just like, uh, I, I was young, I was ignorant, I was naive, so it's like what is this writing going to reveal about me which I think will be a positive thing and you know what kind of problematic things can I look at and say huh do do I need to go back and uh, apologize or fix anything not that I'm sure that well we'll talk about one thing that that uh that it, like it, but some of it I say what what was it? what was I thinking so a computer camp if you're new to the podcast or if you've never heard this story before could have been I would think it would've been in when I was in 7th or 8th grade which is really embarrassing no it could have been younger yeah no it's probably younger than that somewhere between 5th grade I I think it was probably 4th or 5th grade so this probably wasn't written then but around 4th or 5th grade we got signed up my brother and I I think I think my brother Carl and I I don't know if my sister was signed up I hope for her sake we weren't. But one summer we got signed up for, I, I call it computer camp, but it really wasn't. It was like a class at a, it was at a other elementary school in their computer lab. I think the Split Rock was the name of the school we were at, or at least it was near Split Rock, uh, which there's also a quarry there. Split Rock Quarry is near the legendary in Syracuse lore. And so, I don't know, we'll see where this goes. It could be on a journey. So maybe I'll save, as I read the story, I could tell you the story of computer camp. Well, the bad choice I made at computer camp. I'll tell you now, because I don't want to, I'm trying to put you to sleep. So you say, well, Scoots, I want to hear what you did at computer camp. Uh, So we started, so we were taking this class at this thing. I don't think it was just Logo or whatever you learned back then where you could make the turtle go around or whatever. But maybe that was a class. I thought it was more of a word processing camp because I can remember writing stories and uh, and drawing stuff too. It also reminds me, now that I'm talking it out, like uh, at one point L.A., uh, Los Angeles, when I was a teacher there, had a program called, I think it was called Write to Read, where they were trying to teach reading through creative writing. Like, like, I liked it. I I mean, it it was uh, that there was no wrong way to write. You you didn't have to worry about spelling or grammar. This was in grammar uh, elementary primary school, and I was working. I was a second-grade teacher's aide, and the kids were able to—we would go into this—we would go to -to write-to-read class in a a computer lab— And I don't know if this, I don't know, I don't necessarily think this program had a storied history, but uh, a positive. But I had a positive experience with it because I loved that the kids would just be able to write whatever they wanted. Then we would print out the stories. I think this is what would happen. Sometimes we'd draw them or I'd read with them or they would tell me the stories. And they were always so amazing. And I feel like this computer camp was very similar. So I don't know if this is when I wrote this story. But, uh, the one thing that happened at computer camp that was really humiliating, mostly for, I guess it was more confusing for me. It's probably, it, it was very not positive for my mom or my brother. And I still don't know, like I made a lot of poor choices as a child, uh, as a, like I made a lot of poor choices in my life, uh. And a lot of times, the reaction of adults, and then I guess looking back, I mean, I had feelings, you know, I need Brene, I mean, I need, literally, I'm not even being joking, like help from a professional that counselor, therapist, but also doing a lot of reading and work on my own. And for some reason, I think of Brene Brown, because she talks about that big S word, and S H A M E. Uh, is but but so that's what came up for me with this memory. Not anymore, though, I say, huh, this is a confused young man. That's what I think of now. But I mean, my takeaway at the time was like, huh, it must be like, like I didn't even, I wasn't even that down about it because this was the kind of choices I fell into and mistakes I made all the time. But uh, so what happened was we'd have recess it was a summer program right uh, it was only, I think it was only a week long and it was all kids around the same age which i'm guessing i don't know how old kids are like uh, fourth fifth third fourth fifth graders is what i'm guessing and for some reason like so we were allowed to go in like this grassy area where we had recess and for some reason during recess, it might have been the last day of class party, and I may have had too much punch. But I decided not to go back inside and go to the restroom, but to go outside while recess was going on against a tree. And not really to, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, uh, and of course, everybody could see me. And of course, everybody told, they said, uh, little Andy's going to the bathroom outside. And it was very inappropriate. They said, what do you, like, the teacher said, well, you know, what? what? Uh, and they called my mom, and, of course, then my mom, and they, they said, what? Uh, my mom said, what? Uh, and I guess I don't know at a time, to be honest. Like, I'm looking back at it and playing the kind of tape in my mind. It just, just seemed like a, a, like it didn't seem, I mean, obviously, it was some sort of, a, so was I acting out there? Was I acting out for attention? Or was I like to have some sort of I mean, I think I had like a neurosis about go. I-, I said, why wouldn't I have just gone to the bathroom? Like, was I overexcited? Did I really have to? Because I don't remember like, oh, gosh, I got to go now or "Oh, I don't want to ask about going to the bathroom. Or, oh, I don't want to go to the bathroom. So I don't really know why I did it. I'm sure Freud would say, well, you you know, because you were lonely or something. i say, well, okay, whatever, man. But so that's my main memory from that computer camp. Other than that, uh, my brother was at that computer camp, and one other kid I knew from our church that uh, maybe was in, like, some— I don't remember going to Sunday school, but I remember this kid— Kind of, and then I never thought I'd see him again because we didn't go to the same school. But uh, he was there, and so those are the only things I remember. Other, you know, other than the looks on the teacher teachers' faces or the volunteer parents that were teaching this uh, class of uh, shock and confusion. So that's my story about computer camp. Uh, use a restroom less. Well, I never like have. Uh, i got I got a ticket one time for going to the bathroom outside when I when I was like 20 to 21. So I guess I didn't learn my lesson. At least they gave me a ticket. That what that also wasn't the last time I did it. But that time I had to go like sometimes you have to go, but I was trying to be be stealthy. This time I don't think I was. Some of you may be new and you're like is this a sleep podcast or are you and I say, yeah. "Well, these are real me. Like I'm taking a risk here. Maybe this is relatable to somebody. Doesn't have maybe it's not peeing in public, but you did something as a child. You have no idea why. There are strong feelings behind it, uh, and some would say with good reason. And I don't know if my mom tried to say like, "Is there something wrong with like in, like?" Instead of saying, "Is there something wrong with you?" I'd say, "Is everything are you all right?" Uh, that was an interesting choice you made. I would hope that that's what I would say to myself now. I'd say, that was, tell me about that choice. Uh, what led up to, wow, you must uh, sound, that sounds like it was intense. I, I mean, this is what I, the work I kind of, this is literally the kind of work I do when I talk to a therapist. So, okay, well, that sounds like, uh, well, I well, must have did you feel some of that uh, stuff Brene Brown talks about? Yeah, I bet. Uh, well, That's confusing. And, huh, well, now we don't even really know why you made that choice, huh? But you're just a kid, huh? Like, uh, sometimes you forget that as an adult, that back then you were just a kid, and now you're an adult. Uh, maybe we could try to care for you and soothe you here, huh? And say, yeah, that's hard that that, this, that choice got made, and uh, we don't even know why. huh? Confusing, but uh, I don't know if you necessarily need to take on that S-H-A-M-E either, just seems like a bad choice you made. And uh, do you remember making it again? Oh, yeah. You just taught well later in life, uh, but in the same exact manner. I don't think you made that choice again. So that served you well. Don't pee in front of an entire class at a, like you learned that lesson, right? Don't pee in front of a whole class of kids uh, during recess. <laughs> Go somewhere by yourself where you're hidden. Or use the bathroom. So if you're new, that's just a little bit about me. This is what you're dealing with, a human being. And that's just scratching the surface. So I'm interested to see if we'll scratch any other surfaces here. So this story may have been written in 1991. Uh, If it was, like I thought, maybe, well, I don't know what to expect. And I wonder if what this was for because it doesn't have anything on it other than the story. And maybe it was written to be a, a, like a children's book. I don't know. I did find a report card that maybe I'll break out. I guess I was in remedial reading because they didn't know I had dyslexia. This isn't a joke either. And so I found my seventh grade report card or my ninth, no, my ninth grade report card. And I was in remedial reading and I don't even remember here's the thing don't even remember taking that class at all uh I said really, I was in remedial reading. I don't even remember that uh and apparently it didn't apparently I wasn't doing so hot in in any of my classes but uh but yeah, like I had dyslexia, so they but they didn't know that so okay, so let's start- why don't we do this We'll just see how this goes. I'll start reading through the story and Word like almost word for word, and then kind of see where this goes. A long time ago, in a place not far from here, there lived a great king. He was loved by all his people and was known for his acts of kindness. The city that surrounded the huge castle that the king lived in was called Scotchtown. Scotchtown was the most beautiful place in the world. The prisons were empty, the land was fertile. there was never any wars and no one was poor. The king's name was Wendell. he was chubby and had cherry red cheeks. Sounds like sounds like Santa Claus uh, His hair was gray and silky, so gray and silky hair and his mouth was etched into a permanent smile. the future looked magnificent for Scotchtown. Oh, wait, so I kind of do remember the story. I think it was uh, donated. I mean, maybe this is a more mature story. I'm like, wait a second, this is starting to sound like an episode of Sleep With Me. And like I've lifted some of this from something else. One day, Wendell decided to check to make sure the future would be good. The king called upon his magician and seer Oh, I spelled Sear like S-E-A-R. Interesting. wasn't corrected, but uh, I don't think this was turned in for a grade. I think this was just a draft. The king called upon his magician in Sear, Trem. Wendell asked Trem to tell him the future of Scotchtown. Trem wanted to make sure that Wendell really wanted to know the future because Trem told Wendell the future cannot be changed, no matter how hard you try. Wendell was confident that he would not want to change the future and told Trem to inform him of Scotchtown's fate. So I like this so far, uh, and I think about the kid that wrote this, uh, and if it was written in 1991, that's uh, like Angst City. So... I don't know what I'm setting up here, but now I'm getting a better sense of (laughs) what I'm setting something up. But let's think about this place called Scotchtown and and what echoes in sleep with me. So Scotchtown is interesting uh, because uh, it sounds like something I made up, of course. Uh, Wendell, he's very Santa Claus-like. This is male-centric, but it is written by a male and uh, like an early adolescent male uh, cherry red cheeks. He was chubby and his hair was gray and silky and his mouth was etched into a permanent smile. So I do like the imagery there, not just the Santa Claus imagery, but that, uh, the permanent smile. I say, okay, Wendell's one of those people that's like always, uh, has a smile. I say, okay, that's soothing. And even though I strayed from this, like, I remember one of the things that is, is, has always stuck with me is, like, like, at that time I said the prisons were empty. And that was one of the things, like, being raised Catholic and some of the teachings that didn't sit well with me, but some of them that did was, like, the idea of— uh uh like, what does this mean that we're incarcerating so many people? And and, and that, like, uh, even though I drifted far away from that, I, I end up coming back to it and, and and thinking about that a lot, and working with with people that were incarcerated for for some time because uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think you said you said, "Jeez, I don't know about this. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this." This, uh, and even as a kid. Uh, I think this is foreshadowing for my real life. But also I think, like, from a storytelling side, I say, okay, this place is a little too perfect, eh? So it does have elements. Like, whoever was teaching or running this class uh, and kind of the story structure, you say, like, when you think about uh, Hero's Journey or, like, Dan Harmon— uh, the Dan Harmon kind of story circle idea. It's like you. So in this one, it's uh, the, this is like the regular world or you. The regular world is Wendell's world. Wendell's always happy or confident at least. Magnificent presence. So why wouldn't there be the future looked magnificent for Wendell? And uh, so, you you know, th- this is your normal world. Like, uh, and I think it's also funny from my perspective of, like, uh, thinking about season two of Get Basos and that whole season. I don't know what year that came out, but the whole season of Get Besos and the idea of where it came from was based on Utopias. And I had gone to see... Um, I had gone to see Brad Bird speak at, uh, somewhere with my brother, and Brad Bird was kind of talking about— this is what, right around when Tomorrowland was coming out. But Brad Bird was kind of talking about dystopia, and I guess this has always kind of been a ongoing debate, so I don't want to wade into like dystopias versus— but Brad Bird was like challenging the audience in some sense, like, oh, why doesn't anybody— isn't that a creative constraint, writing in a utopia? And I took that to heart and said, okay, what would it be like? And I said, well, the problem with utopias is, is that if it's a real utopia, it lacks conflict. Uh, so that was like the whole premise of season two of Get Basos. It took place in the utopia. And I don't know, I just really liked that idea of that creative constraint. I still do, because it's like a puzzle. Like you say, okay, how do you create... If the rules of the world are it's a utopia and not a utopia, wink, wink, Uh, how do you create a conflict in that? And, of course, that's like an unattainable. That's just something you strive for. You say, okay, well, that's impossible. I'm going to have to bend those rules a bit because you're right. Uh, If it's an actual utopia, everyone will be happy all the time. And I don't know, it also had fun, had fun with the, the, being able to take it to the two levels because it said, okay, well, there's also the level of belief system and who created this utopia, who, how did it come to be, and what are the higher levels of existence within this utopia? You know, is it this in our world or parallel world? this is when I was working on it, but end up, oh, no, it's, okay, so it's far in our future, so that would mean it's still based on the same, like, like, some of the same underlying belief systems, so then it's like, okay, I don't know, I had, that was one of my favorite, it had some of my more favorite moments, especially the ongoing, I love ongoing bits, of course, and so having the ongoing bit with that, uh, the the higher power creator was on sabbatical so that the angels were running and everything and they're not perfect you know they're just demigods no offense angels oh that, that was fiction by the way if you do have super you know ma- you know please uh so I don't know so those are something so that was the first uh you. So I guess this would be the need section if we were going by the story. Like, so I'm just kind of projecting it, but uh, so Wendell decided to check to make sure the future would be good. So I guess everything wasn't perfect. There was some sort of, and this is where your teen angst comes through. There's some sort of underlying turbulence or lack of faith or something deep down, which I can identify with. Uh, so Wendell want, or just on ease about the future. So Wendell said, hey, I got this wizard and sear, somebody that sears my meat and can see the future maybe. And I think there was art with this. I don't know. But Wendell said, yo, Trem, uh, can you tell me what the future of Scotchtown is? And Trem said, I could. This is, you know, very steady story device. Uh, it could tell you what the future is, but you can't change the future. So do you really want to know? Uh, and that's quite a conundrum, right? And you don't even want to—that's like the kind of conundrum you never want to be presented with because just like Wendell, like it, then it is a misery of choice. You say, okay, so choose. Do you want to know or not? Because you can't change it either way. Where someone without an underlying turbulence, like Wendell or I, someone that was more well-adjusted, like Ray, one, they would never, even if they found themselves making that choice to talk to Trem, they'd say, yeah, you're right, Trem, I don't need to know, you know, I just gotta turn everything over to my HP and, uh. And, and let it go because, Trem says, no matter how hard you try, but Wendell was confident he wouldn't want to change tra- cha- change the future and told Trem to inform him of Scotchtown's fate. Okay, get ready, because who knows what's coming next. Uh, Trem sighed deeply and frowned. Wendell, my friend, I see dark clouds over Scotchtown. Our future is grim. Three cataclysmic events will strike your people. A flood, a famine, and a war. I see hope at the end of a dark tunnel, but someone will have to make the supreme sacrifice. The king smiled and thanked Trem, and then the magician left Scotchtown forever. So you need to go. So this is kind of the go part of the story, or like where you... Uh, you So the this is, I like guess, kind of still in the need, but you say, okay. Trump says, uh, things don't look. Also, I love, my favorite part of this is that Trump leaves town. I love you, Trump. I mean, that's like uh, forever. Trump says, by the way, now that I can change, I'm out. Uh, I didn't look up my future, just the future of this geographic area. So I quit and I'm out. Uh, that I like a lot it is starting to feel a little tropey. So I'm wondering where we're going with this. And I say, Oh boy, this is one of these, but it's also like right in the sleep with me wheelhouse, supreme sacrifice, uh, predictability. Hopefully we'll have something surprising. Uh, but three things. So again, I, I like that, uh, probably something I was still trying to work on, which is rising conflict. Uh, or, you know, raising the stakes and stuff like that. But uh, he says, okay, there is hope. Uh, but yeah, there's going to be these three things. <laughs> and then Trem left town forever. I think it's interesting, too, that I had dialogue. I'm, pr- I'm proud of that. I say, okay, it went w- like Trem sighed deeply and frowned. I mean, I guess I would say if I could change anything... Uh, uh, to give, I'd say Wendell would say, okay, are you sure you want to know? Or maybe I'll dole out the information a little bit slower. But uh, Let's see what Scoots does, or little Andy did. The king did not tell his people of Trem's prediction because he did not want to upset them. Project much? Uh, uh, that's funny, so we'll talk about that. Wendell had decided to prepare for the flood, which he thought would come first. The king had his huge and beautiful estate knocked down, and with the stone from the knockdown castle, Wendell built a gigantic tower that reached high into the heavens. Sure enough, as the last stone was placed in the tower, it began to rain. Scotchtown was on the coast, and soon the ocean was rising towards the village. The king moved all his subjects into the castle, and the town was enveloped by water. The castle was surrounded by water, but the tower was high enough that the people were safe. Months passed, and soon the water sank back into the ocean. Okay, so I like the idea that also uh, Wendell is like a little bit codependent, like because I reckon like say, okay, I don't want to upset anybody, so I'm not gonna tell anybody about this. Uh, or you could say typical leader, you know, say, well, you know, I don't want, like, I'll deal with this. Uh, and I think I probably did have to draw or do something for this because I guess I can see this, like, as v- somewhat visual uh, that I say, okay, in kind of basic rule making, you say, okay, what's going to be your sacrifice, Wendell? What are you going to give up? So this isn't you need go search. So this is like the search or the kind of, A little bit different, but because I don't know exactly. I don't think I had in mind where is Wendell going to end up, or maybe I wrote the ending. I'm hoping the ending is what I think it is, which would be Angst City. Uh, And probably I said, where where did I get this idea from? It's definitely from something else. uh, But I like this idea. I I mean, it's uh, interesting, and it does also lend itself uh, to... uh, Like, there's some interesting choices, not good or bad, but interesting choices. One, the king didn't tell the people. I thought that was very Drew-like. See, I don't want anybody upset with me or with the situation. And then Wendell decides the flood was was first. We don't explain that, but that was what uh, Trump mentioned. So you say that makes sense. Okay, let's knock down the castle and build a tower. Uh, like that idea. I mean it's, if you have the the capacity to do that, also a cool idea like even as a kid I say, okay building a giant tower in towers uh, Freud, could you please stay out of this conversation but building these giant towers does seem cool like you say okay, okay, I gotta move on. Freud just ruined all that for me. Uh, reach high into the heavens, but sh- sure enough, the last stone, it began to rain. So you get this like, no, the arc type thing, but I like how I-, I found at least some part of me or somebody that I gave, gave me notes said, I don't know about this. So I put it on the coast. So it's like, okay, now it's more believable. Also, I know what's going gonna- to, I remember the next part of the story, I think. So, but I think like what I'm drawn to is like that the choice was like that months passed. So I didn't feel the need at the time to kind of fill in all the blank spots, but I do think it's interesting or would be interesting to think about. And it kind of reminds me of other fantasy books or even Terry Pratchett books of like what was going on in this tower or like seeing a cutaway of the tower. Like this must have been a really massive tower because we don't know how many, is a village, which is bigger than, smaller than a town. So even if you had like a 2,000 people in this tower, I, I think that would be cool to see kind of how they were managing. So then the rain stopped and the water sank back into the ocean. So some of you may already be telegraphed, if telegraphed, where the next thing is going The people cleaned their homes in the hot sun, so they got lucky. This hot sun dried the waterlogged town. You say, okay, well, that's kind of a best-case scenario, actually, that their homes were only submerged. But I also like your way of thinking, your way of fantasizing, kid, because they say, okay, yeah, they could have been, but okay, I'm with you, the ocean slowly rose is what you're saying. The town was like uh, submerged, not washed. Uh, so, okay, I'm interested. I'm interested to see that. And, and I say, okay, again, it's kind of visual and I, I like it. I can, I can almost smell some stuff. I could feel the moisture. I could see people dealing with it. Uh, and this is it was spring and people were getting ready to plant crops and when another disaster struck the land had been saturated with the salt from the ocean and could no longer bear crops i don't know if this is true but i think the idea of like salting the earth is where i got that uh, all spring and all summer long people attempted to grow crops uh, successfully but it was actually unsuccessful winter was coming and there was no food to store Wendell knew something must be done. Okay, now now I'm already seeing the next uh, stage. Uh, He went into his tower and took all the treasures he had acquired over the years and packed them into a cart and he traveled far away to Morganville. The king traded all he had, even his crown, for all the food the town had. Wendell brought all the food back to the town and his people easily survived the winter. Did something like this happen in, um, like, After the Glass Slipper? Did I, like, copy my own story? It, I'm, I'm thinking this, like, I reused this. Uh, uh, somebody will have to let me know. So that was another series we did, if you're newer. It was called After the Glass Slipper. It was a tale of, like, Cinderella and her stepmother and her fairy godmother after she became princess and queen at least in my mind. And the first season was more about the stepmother in competition with the fairy godmother and, uh, and, and, and Cinderella. And I think the fairy godmother was, or the stepmother was actually like the, she continued to be the antagonist. But then in the second season, did she become the protagonist? Like she became the protagonist to me. She kind of always was, uh, But in the second season, was there two or three seasons of that? I think there was three seasons, but maybe there's just one really long one. I guess there was three seasons. like the second season, yeah, because in the second season, the first season happened like early in the podcast when I hadn't like it was one of those bonzo stories, right? You know, with our undertones and stuff. But the second season, as far as I can remember, was like Agatha, like Cinderella. Is that Cinderella? Is that the one, right? Cinderella? Yeah, because she's in the cinders. Um, I think she's away, and Agatha's running the town. It gets overrun. And then there's people trying to um, deal with, uh, or maybe like she hosts everybody. She's in love with a man who became a letter letterman but she's dealing with some ogres or some orgs or something and also trying to save the fairy people like the fairy godmother comes from like the fairy realm and so she's trying to help them too or maybe also the it was like uh the fairy people and the human people had kind of fallen out like reflecting kind of uh subtextually where things were at Uh, uh, not too, not too, not too, uh, not too, uh, subtly, but I know that she had to deal with stuff. So I don't know if that's, if I reuse this, uh, that's interesting if I did, but yeah, this kind of sets up the next part of the story. You need go search, find, so not exactly on the Harmon, uh, but, but an interesting kind of three challenges, uh. And again, raising the stakes. Uh, so Wendell got him out of the flood. Then there's a the famine. Okay, let's take everything out of my castle. We'll buy a bunch of food. And uh, then this next part of the story comes. Uh, one night, the people of Scotchtown were suddenly attacked by the citizens of Morganville. Oh, boy, Morganville. Uh, It seems that they ran out of food during the long, hard winter, and many of them had perished. They blamed Scotchtown for this and declared war. Scotchtown had no army because they were peaceful folk. Wendell tried to encourage the people to start an army, but they were fat and lazy after a year of no work, Uh, The army of Morganville was approaching, so Wendell took his sword and went with his smile to face the enemy alone. He fought bravely against the army, but he was stricken with a mortal wound. The army was so impressed by the courage of this one man, they feared... So this is all very... Even though I don't remember, I've read stuff like this since then. The The army was so impressed by the courage of this one man... They feared invading a town of people like him. Wendell returned to his people and told them of his victory. So I think that's a pretty standard, I don't know, type thing that this one great warrior can set the stage. Uh, Wendell returned to his people and told them of his victory. The people asked the passing, the king who was about to pass the big farm in Sky how they would grow crops this spring. Wendell, smiling as always, walked out in the fields, and as he fertilized the soil with his body, the land became fertile again. Wendell disappeared into the ground, but the people knew they would reap a bountiful harvest that summer. So that's the end of the story. Not exactly, um... It's, I mean, no offense to uh, Scoots as a young kid, but I say, okay, that's kind of a recycled ending, probably no one in my class. Or I mean, it, it probably wasn't, like, I probably read it somewhere. Or maybe it's just monomyth that I thought was creative. I mean, just because literally, when I've been different things, they used to randomize for the podcast. I've seen stories like that. Uh, but I do like, uh, and then this kind of... Uh, we kind of tying it up in a bow pretty neatly, so it kind of makes sense. Again, I think this is a plot device that I'm probably used in a story for "Sleep with Me," but it's like and it's also, I guess, unintentionally. I think it calls back to the beginning of like a deal, a bargain you should have never struck, right? Wendell should have never asked Trim. That, this this actually isn't paid off in this story but Wendell should have never asked Trem what the future was right is what I was hinting at at the beginning of the story or Trem says you can't change the future and then uh in this part like uh, the people of Morganville shouldn't stru they shouldn't have sold all of their winter st- f- food I mean I don't know who was running that town they shouldn't have come after. Scotch Town, they should have dealt with whoever they said you sold all our well for a bunch of gold we got a great deal so maybe they did make a good deal because they said well wait a second uh the guy gave us like whatever a pound of gold for every potato he said okay well that does make sense on paper uh, not even on paper on gold so but it's like a bargain that you shouldn't have been struck or it wasn't a good idea and then, uh, that, uh, I do like the, the again, very similar twist from other uh, stories, but also probably from mine of like, okay, then Wendell's making these sacrifice, but then like, uh, like a lot of the people were like, oh, well, like, uh, we're not going to do like, like that, uh, like almost like, I guess that's like probably like my own subconscious bleeding out, like, and saying, well, that's what happens when you, uh, over, you know, over sacrifice or try to please everybody, uh, that everybody's like, oh, well, you're on your own Wendell. And then I don't necessarily like the choice, uh, but it's just at this point in my life you say, okay, I would definitely change the ending, um, but not all of the elements, uh, and then I definitely, like, so I don't like the fact that he went out there. I like that he went out there on his own. But uh, that just feels a little bit too, tro- like, too on the nose for me, that it's like Wendell was so brave that they said, forget it. If I mean, I, no, that doesn't make sense, So Maybe it's just I'm, I'm, like, jaded from reading too many stories. And then I definitely don't like uh, the ending, the, the good ending. I thought it was, like, honestly, I thought I was cringing because when I started to, when I got to the second page of the story, I was like, wait a second, is, uh, I thought it was going to end in a s- similar way, but, like, uh, that it would be a little bit darker. But Like, Wendell would, like, give even more sacrifice to people that would be unappreciated. So I kind of, like, that idea. But so, I guess if I was like, if I was reading the story with myself and I said, like, I was saying, okay, well, I'm going to help, like, let's brainstorm this out and let me give you some notes or let's, like, tease it out even more. So, okay, I like this Wendell. Uh, but how are we, like, how are we going to play against that? Or is Wendell going to stay the same through the whole story? Yeah, I'd like him to stay the same. Okay. So you want to be the same kind of a smiling optimist at the end as the beginning? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So Wendell goes and then this wizard says, you don't want to know the future because you can't change it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's what happens. And Wendell says, I want the future to find out the future anyway. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I would say I'd like to, to do a little bit more work. Uh, So if you like Wendell as Wendell is, like, I have two questions for you to think about. One would be, is the ending, does it match that tone of the warning from Trem? And does the story kind of follow that? Uh, And is there a way back on the first page, like, to to say why, like, I don't, I guess one thing I don't understand is why does Wendell have to know the future and you don't necessarily have to answer that, but the answer to me is that so there could be a... Like right now, so the story could be told. So I think it would be more interesting if it was like uh, Wendell has to know the future because of this. Uh, and I know part of you, because I know you're in my brain, and I say, well, he had a nightmare. Okay, well, so then what caused the nightmare? Even if you know... We might not even have to work into the story, but I think I would like to know, even if it's not in the story, like I think that would be a point where we could develop the story from, is uh, why does Wendell have to know the future, especially after he's warned? So that's question one, and then question two would be, how is the story reflect a warning from the wizard because right now it just feels like it goes very straightforward. even though Wendell does some creative problem solving. Uh, and I guess you'd say as a kid, you'd probably say, well, the, the, because they were friends. So the, what the wizard was saying was that I just love you, Wendell. And, uh, like I, I know the future and what's going to happen that took place in the story. And I love you, and I'm your friend, so I don't want that to happen. So that's why I'm warning you for me. And I'd say, okay, so I like your answer there. So maybe we could work that back in there. Like is Trem, the wizard, is Trem, uh, and Wendell in a relationship together, or have they been in a? I guess I mean maybe that's tropey, but like could Trem be? If there's because I, I notice Wendell's single, I noticed you're single, so you know that that's just interesting to me. But I'd say is like uh, I think if there's a strong attachment, uh, and that that pain is important to not forget about because I understand what you're saying. The story makes a lot more sense to me in that way. So is the story. Uh, I'm struggling because I guess it is Wendell's story. But then the emotional impact of the prediction is being carried by Trem. But then it's also like, uh, even though Wendell gave up all this stuff, I really felt like it was easy. So I guess it still brings me back to why does – like, I think if that question gets answered, a lot of these other questions would follow from that. So do you want to, like, just talk it out because we have a few minutes together? Okay, so what are some reasons Wendell would want to know the future? Well, Wendell loves Wendell's people so much that he wants – he's always worried about, like, everybody being happy. And keeping everything perfect. Okay, so uh, there's—and it's kind of weird that it's like this perfect place, but uh, like as soon as Wendell solves one of the problems, everybody kind of kicks back. uh, But people really tried to make the most of the crops, and it sounds like it worked really hard on the tower— so as much as I find that, like, that the fact that the townspeople couldn't defend themselves because they didn't want to, and they'd grown lazy, maybe there is something there, but it's just like moving the pieces around a little, you know? But it's still, again, so Wendell, okay, so let me understand Wendell. So Wendell sounds like he was been king for a while. What was Scotch like before Wendell was king? I don't know. Well, do you think like three or four, like uh, has it always been peaceful? And how did it like in other times it never had an army because they were peaceful? Is there a reason for that, uh, like a geographic advantage? Yeah, geographic advantage sounds good. Okay, and then I guess it would be, like, it, this is definitely taken away from the story. So I guess we got to focus on Wendell, because I'd say, well, why like, why isn't there any strife in between the town? I mean, I guess it, it makes me think of, like, is there some other bargain? What, why? What, like, is there a story, a part of the story of, like, why is the town perfect? Is that what Wendell's, r- the real pain of being Wendell... Like does Wendell almost already know this? It almost reminds me of like some sort of loop in some sense. And I wonder if you were feeling that way when you wrote it. I don't know. What do you mean? Well, it's almost like Wendell's sacrifice at the end, even though it's kind of uh, somewhat figurative, because that wouldn't act, or some sort of or magic. Because Wendell is not enough, like Wendell's not providing enough compost for to undo what the ocean did in such a short period of time, right? So that's kind of like some sort of supernatural act or magical act, or it, it takes us out of our suspension of disbelief. But it's also like, just like Trem said, oh, somebody has to make this big sacrifice so the town... Can carry on and be perfect again. Like, that would be interesting as a series of stories. I mean, now I think I feel like I'm taking the reins from you and, and taking over too much, so I'm overstepping my bounds. But it would be like, oh, Wendell pops out of the earth as a flower again. Maybe he's like some sort of cabbage patch child, and then he becomes king again. And then he repeats the whole thing over and over. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there's part of me that mistook Wendell as like totally calm and optimistic. Is Wendell really that calm and optimistic? If he is, then why would he? Why does he need to know the town's future after he's warned that he can't change it? I mean, I guess in that sense, it kind of makes sense, too. Is this like, you're like, well, of course, if Wendell could know how to make his town better, then Wendell's going to go find out. So this is actually like maybe a prototypical perfect sleepy story, more perfect than the stories I tell. So I guess in some sense, I should congratulate you because... This is maybe I didn't see it till just now, but really you've designed a story better than any of the sleep with me stories I've ever told. I mean, now I will say I'm not sure this story is sustainable, much like the Brad Bird constraint uh, of like every like a conflict in a utopia. I mean, that is Brad Bird wasn't saying that, that was my projection, like playfulness with it. But if what you're saying is true, this is like the perfect sleep story. So you have a a benevolent person, and they're also full of love and kindness and confidence. uh, And they're so benevolent, they're going to go to the end of the line every time in their benevolence, uh, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice including even knowing things they wouldn't want to know so they can take their benevolence to the end of the line. So I think in that sense, there is still some pain and conflict because, okay, I guess I was saying how perfect your story is, but I can't help my story brain get drawn in because then maybe there is a way, maybe then the missing gap for me in the story, if what you're saying is true, is that there has to be some other bargain or some other sacrifice or some other skill or something Wendell's willing to do to enable the, the fertilization at the end. And there's really only one thing I can think of, like, uh, but that wouldn't be Sleep Podcast or whatever or some sort of exchange. I mean, it doesn't have to be with an underworld exchange, but that uh, to provide Wendell with that, power and capability and still have it be believable like you're, you're talking about an Ursula situation ask like not that Trem is Ursula because Trem's just saying be careful like are you sure you want to know the future you can't change it I'm your friend and now I've seen the future for you and it's really really not great at all and so I gotta leave because I can't watch you go through that so that has some power for me so I guess your story really is like because you just didn't explain that part, but so that's what's calling to me now is uh okay, so Wendell finds that out. Wendell's as you said, competent, confident, calm, loving, maybe codependent. So maybe there is some sort of subconscious neurosis. At least I have to do that and project that, or maybe not. But that's a lot of uh, a lot to bear. I would say. So then, Wendell finds out because he said, "Well, if I have the ability to find out how to make things better or keep my people safe, I'm going to do that." Trump says, "Oh boy, yeah. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be these three things. Uh, but for you to be able to do them all, it's not going to. It's going to. It's a dark place." Now, what you're saying in this story, what I was really complimenting you on, which I'll finish up. Uh, because they did have to make it about, you know, had to go into the story swamp there, is that your story really is. It's like, okay, there's a total benevolence. Then there's some more benevolence with the light sacrifice. Got to get rid of my castle to keep everybody safe. Got to get rid of my rich stuff to get everybody food. Then I got to, you know, sacrifice. I got to head to the big farm to, uh defend you know, to stave off this war. So I'd say four. This the fourth thing would be that. You, oh, by the way, in order to keep you from the next famine, also can't go to the big farm. So I think that would be it. Would be uh, like I mean, you can make it mythological. I mean, this is just me having to do that, but because your way is just too perfect, right? Uh, which I guess is some like. Luckily, I couldn't make sleep with me. like I said, wait a second, you can hear me struggling. Uh, but it'd be just because it's fun. It's a puzzle that this is what we're having fun together with this puzzle. And also, I know that you wanted, like, Wendell's people to do something more. I mean, we don't have to make it about the people, though. It could just be that, like... a. And maybe there's some other point where there's one other person like Trem that says, do you really need to take this to the end of the line, Wendell? Like, is this really what's best for you? Like, this is—and Wendell says, this is what it takes to maintain a utopia. I mean, I guess uh, the irony would be—and then I guess it would be this rebirthing of, like, uh, if it only takes one figure going to the end of the line and beyond— to maintain the utopia, what happens after Wendell's gone, right? Uh, So, I don't know. But I think that interests me, that, that, uh, like, uh, the weight of benevolence or something, that would be like Wendell, like, if Wendell was going to do a tell-all story that wasn't, but Wendell would be like, the 10 greatest things about being overly benevolent? I think not. The King Wendell story. You can't be overly benevolent. Is benevolent the right word? You know, you don't know either. Good. I guess we're 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 one in the same, you and I. So I enjoyed that story. Thanks for sharing it with me. And uh, yeah, and I hope well, everybody uh, drifted off into dreamland. Good night.